And four days later, we are back. Yes, we're back. Yes, sir. Derek, how you doing, man? Happy Good. Pride. Happy Pride. <laughs> yes. Yay. Tis the season. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't have a lot in terms of news, but there were some things from this past Tuesday we didn't get to didn't get to go through that I'd love for us to briefly address if we could for today. Uh-huh. And also this being the first day of Pride Month, I do right. want us to have a little primer on just how how we need to be for this month, particularly us aspiring allies in the church especially, but out of the church too. Uh-huh. So uh Derek, why don't why don't you kick things off if you would? Well, go which go whichever one you want, man. You want to talk about um, you want to talk about how the was it a brunch with uh, President? Oh yeah, Rollins? okay. Let's go. Let's talk about that real briefly. So okay. last Thursday there was a special dinner, um, which came out of some of the leadership in the Boston Stake wanting to connect with secular LGBT individuals in the Boston area who had come from an LDS background. And they met at a fundraiser for Fenway Health, which is a community health clinic for, uh, well, it's for everybody, but it's especially for LGBT individuals. And out of this fundraiser came this idea of, oh, let's actually have a conversation. And they decided to have a meal at President Rollins' house, who's the Boston Stake president. Um, And he's a big supporter of me, so uh, uh, I was there too. And... uh, it was really interesting. It basically, it was like, how can we build bridges together? How can we start a conversation? What would what would help out? And it wasn't really like, let's everyone get back into church, right? It was more like, how can we start a conversation and how can we meet each other and get to know one another uh, more than a like a rescue type thing? It was like, oh, let's let's treat you as authentic people with full lives and then have a conversation about that. So I think that that's off to a good start. I wonder where that's going to go. I was about to ask, what is uh, what did you feel like the end of the, what what, what did you think was the end, intended end of this conversation? Well, I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, neither do I. Neither uh, do I. <laughs> because there's no like um, local concrete goal that I think it was uh, designed to meet. But it was more about like, oh, we there's people here who have some degree of fondness for the church that mm-hmm. they grew up in uh, and may want to connect. And we're glad to see some of the uh, leadership of the Boston Stake there at this fundraiser. And we're, we're so much surprised to see them there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's uh, what happened. And out of that came at this. I think what was good is um, it allowed us to meet. For example, I met the outgoing Area Authority 70, um, Elder Grant, and the incoming um, Area Authority 70, Elder Hutchins. And uh, that was good, because I've never met either one before. Mm-hmm. And I think just having that conversation and, and having a person that they can go to to say, hey, I have questions about stuff and how I can be a good ally or how I can help this, then we have that conversation we have that connection that's great i mean that's that's still important and that's uh that's great that you guys were able to get that much out of the meeting and at the very least get to know each other better and be aware of each other i think right and part of this is i invited i'm gonna have to re-invite everyone to the um, boston pride is next saturday 
so at 10 a.m. there is an, a Pride Interfaith service at Union Church, and then the parade starts at noon, and a delegation of people with Mormons building bridges will be marching in the parade. Uh, so just any of those things are available for people if they want to show up. That's great. That's actually a good segue into this next thing that I was hoping for us to talk about. Again, I know this is last minute, yeah, but I would fine. really like us to, with this being the first month, first day of Pride and everything, be able to give a brief primer to our brothers and sisters in the faith who would like to demonstrate some degree of allyship. Okay, so let me go ahead on that. I just saw this really good article in the Chicago Tribune by Lauren Hill. I'm just going to highlight a few of the points here. Um, one thing is to understand what pride is about and its history. So you need to understand Stonewall. You need to understand where we've been for the past 50 years. Today is the 50th uh, anniversary. Can you say a little bit about that Stonewall? Okay, so what happened is this was back during the days um, when queer people were really closeted um, and one of the only places that they could meet were in gay bars, which uh, the police raided quite frequently in New York City. Because the mob owned them, right? Yes, right, <laughs> yeah. right. And so these raids happened all the time, but Stonewall was the first time where the uh, queers pushed back. Um, there were no deaths or anything, but there were throwing of rocks, there was uh, rioting, there was a, a significant amount of resistance saying, no, you can't just drag us away. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say, no, you can't. And I think this was a, um, a watershed moment in the history of the movement in the U.S. because there had been things like this happen before, but this is the first time that really public opinion would now start to coalesce and say, well, why are we doing that to these people? And uh, that was in, in 69, so that was still a long time ago. And it wasn't, still things are not all better, right? And it, so it wasn't better right away. But I think this was a, a turning moment where people realized if we all come out, we'll all be safer. And I think it had as much to do with the pride of the people themselves to say, hey, we're going to stand up and we're not going to be cowering in fear. We're not going to do this in secret. We're not going to pretend. We're, we're all going to come out and we're all going to be safer and we're going to pay the, the cost, whatever, whatever the consequences are, we're going to be out. And so many people um, within the community shifted their perspective of, of this. And so I think that's, uh, that's an important thing to remember. And this is what... Uh, and I should mention that a number of the leaders in the riot were queer people of color and trans women of color. Oh, that's right. And, and we shouldn't white, literally whitewash this into being about cute young gay men, which I, I, I am one of them. <laughs> but <laughs> that's not what pride Had is to about. Get that, in there. that is not what pride is about. Pride mm. is about authenticity, about everyone being able to be who they are. Um, and we cannot for forget the intersectionality around gender. We can't leave out women. We cannot leave out people of color, people um, who are disabled, people who are immigrants, all these other things, there's going to be LGBTs in all of those groups. And we can't lift up LGBTs unless, unless we lift up all these other groups too. Mm. Uh, which 
speaking of intersectionality, I have to remind uh, uh, everyone that today, June 1st, is the 41st anniversary of the revelation that President Kimball received that restored the uh, priesthood and temple blessings to Speak people of African descent. I don't know if you want to say anything on that. You know, 40, 41 years. Um, you know, I'll say something a little bit later, but okay. I'd really like to stay on this current track of you know, yeah. making sure. Yeah, but, but in terms of that, we have to remember that that so many people in the church, talking about allies in the church, many allies want to go to this easy comparison of saying, well, look how we fixed this, which we haven't fixed it, right? <laughs> With, with respect to people of color. Look how we fixed that. This is, this is really similar. I mean, there's points of similarity, but there's also significant points of difference, and there's also, we can't ignore the people who, who are in both categories. If we compare black people and gay people, it makes it seem like the black people are all straight and the gay people are all white, and neither of those is at all a healthy view. Mm. Okay, so let's go to some more pride things. Um, so if you're going to show up at Pride, you're going to have to understand the struggles of LGBT uh, people today. There's still a lot of inequality. There's still discrimination, which is illegal in many states. Um, there's still a lot of different fights, especially for our transgender siblings. They're saying, we have People think gay marriage is like the final goal. It is not the final goal. There's, there's a lot of other stuff that needs to happen. And... Realizing these struggles is an important part of showing up to Pride. And if you show up to Pride, you should be conscious of your straight privilege. You should know... Uh, I like the word accomplice better than ally, and the Black Lives Matter movement has used this word quite well to say you're basically an accomplice to people who are doing something subversive or something that they're not, quote, supposed to do. And... And I, th I like that word a lot better than ally because ally is, oh, I'm, I have this identity and I'm all fine because I have the right opinions. And that's not what it's about. It's about mm -hmm. stepping up when the marginalized population asks for support, asks for things. You follow their leadership and you step up when you're asked to and you step back when you are asked to. Mm -hmm. That's really what an accomplice does. Um, there's... Uh, you're supposed. I didn't realize that I would have to tell people this, but this lovely article from the Tribune, Chicago Tribune, says, "Don't ask questions like who's the man or the woman in the relationship, or mm. have you had surgery. All these other questions are not appropriate. Queer people are not here for your entertainment. You know, it's not like they're we, not there to explain themselves. Right? To they're us not. Either. Yes. It's, we exist not for the purpose of spicing up." straight society mm -hmm. we exist we have dignity on our own terms and we're not here for uh, for others um, and that leads into the next one this isn't a spectator sport you should not gawk at or take photos of or or zooify people um, based on their presentation or their identity anything like that now if people um with consent like they're there as a performer and they want people to photograph them they'll let you know somehow mm. and that's fine some people are there to be seen especially politicians they and <laughs> corporations those those people they want to be seen yeah right they want to know they want people to see that um and then another one is to remember that to go beyond june like this doesn't end june 30th we mm. have to keep this going all year round because my life keeps going year round um, and we have to remember 
that you can't just lay that's what straight privilege is you can lay down your pride flag whenever you want whenever it's convenient for your own security and safety or for your own convenience Mm -hmm. we can't do that Mm. we especially those of us who are visibly queer cannot do that and so um so similarly we have to keep the education the information the knowledge about us flowing all year round remember our histories anticipate our futures all these things so that's kind of my brief summary excellent thanks man i suppose if possible would there be any special words we would give to our brothers and sisters in the religious community especially the latter-day saint community who may be inclined to and we've talked about this before using god's word to deny god's blessings or god's love do we have any words we would like to give to those people well those people i mean they're welcome to show up to pride and watch and listen and learn but not to speak (laughs) and not to take attention and not to try to say you need to present both sides or anything like that Mm -hmm. because there really aren't two sides yeah right um there's so that's kind of what i would say is i think if people show up to pride with a with a spirit of curiosity and being an having an openness of spirit and a and a christ-like love they will be ready to learn a lot and to understand a lot and to see um that we're fully human and have uh we're we're fully in the image of god and that's beautiful and that's something to be celebrated oh let me tell you what we're celebrating is not gay sex okay (laughs) it's we're not celebrating gay sex what Mm -hmm. we are celebrating is our survival Mm -hmm. and our and our ability to build families and communities let me just tell you a secret for thousands and thousands of years if two men wanted to have sex with each other they could there was nothing stopping them right Mm. they could sneak off and, and have sex somewhere um, and we've had, we know we know that happened. So that's not what we're celebrating. We're not celebrating. Oh, we get to have gay sex. That's not what we've always been able to do. That what we're celebrating is the ability to build families together, to have publicly um, accountable, committed relationships that are held by the community as oh these two people are partnered, and there's obligations and benefits with that, and we want to build families together and we want and we're also celebrating the fact that we've survived by the way this isn't the first um uh lgbt movement that ever happened the the really the first one this is the second one in modern history the first one was in germany in the 1920s and that one was basically crushed by the nazis there was a number of um a number of important scientific publications on gender identity and sexual orientation there were there was a lot of research going on uh, fairly fairly progressive research going on in germany there were a number of of gay bars throughout germany in the 1920s and that all got eliminated by the nazis who put many gay men into concentration camps um and basically completely crushed and so this one will not be crushed as far as i can see um, so, so think about that. Do you want to be, I hate to use the line, do you want to be like the Nazis? But literally, this, this isn't like an analogy. The Nazis were actually anti-gay. They literally were. Um, and they literally put my people in concentration camps. Not to the nearly, 
the extent of, of Jews and other and political prisoners and the and people who are disabled and the Romani people and communists and things like that. But it was there. It was part of this is what we want Germany to look like. We want it to be pretty and we want to have like a husband and wife who are white and blonde and have all these cute kids and we don't and gay people frustrate that because they don't breed good Aryan children. And that I think was, and then there was this whole idea of degeneracy and um, and decadence that got associated with with queer people at the time. And that's those were the two main problems that Nazis had with my people. So, so yeah, remember all these things when. So we're we're celebrating the fact that we survived. Mm. Not all of us as individuals. Some of us, um, sadly, uh, have died by suicide. Some of us have been the victims of hate crimes, but most of us have survived. And no one can uh, make us afraid to be out. And so by being proud of who we are, we win. We show that the fear and terror that others would have that would press us into the closet have been defeated. Thank you for sharing that, Derek. Yes. Really appreciate that. If there, Do we have any other news that we want to share before we move on to uh, this Sunday's Come Follow Me? No, I don't think so. Very good. Then we shall go ahead and move on to the Sundays Come Follow Me. Now, I actually didn't pick anything that was in any of the major headlines. Mm-hmm. I, I know there was I know there were significant things there that I'm sure you'll probably address. But something I wanted to address actually came in Gosh, I didn't even write down the reference, but the story of the widow's might is in this lesson. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to highlight that because there's actually some recent relevance to me with this story. And it's not just mm-hmm. the story of the widow's might, but it's stories like it. Stories like the uh, the widow of, widow of Zarephath and Elijah. Mm-hmm. Stories where the Lord tests people in the extremes. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't know about the widow's might, the story of the widow's might is a widow giving all her living for offering in the form of two mites. And two mites isn't a lot of money. Two mites is a farthing, and a farthing, or I guess four farthings, is like a a penny. So this is significantly less than a penny that we're talking about. And according... Okay, anyway, it's not much by most people's standards. But um, the widow cast her two mites in for offering and the savior addressed that it was all her living and concluded that she had given more than anybody else who had given because presumably right. everybody else who had given had given of their abundance, but she yeah. had given everything she had. I think about, I liken this to the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath because pretty much the widow of Zarephath had given pretty much her last of her food to the prophet Elijah mm-hmm. and the prophet Elijah had promised her in return that she would have food until the rain came again or whatever. But still it was all she had that she was asked to sacrifice. And I thought that was pretty significant. So I feel like the Lord illustrates his lessons with extreme examples so that he can eliminate our excuses. Yeah, he can eliminate yeah. our excuses. That's that's the primary thing. 
And the lesson here to me is that tithing is a commandment, even for the destitute. For a while, I wondered if the Lord wanted me to pay tithing personally while I was in debt, because technically, if I have a negative net worth, do I really have anything to give? You know what I'm saying? But yeah. uh, the more research I did on the subject, you know, I see prophets. Heber J. Grant, we were talking about before the show started, he actually made a promise that uh, we would all have the capacity to pay our debts among several other blessings, including other temporal ones, if we made an effort to pay our tithing. So I recently decided to put this to the test. Like I, um, I decided a while ago, 2015 November, that I wasn't going to pay tithing while the church had a policy that I felt was very discriminatory. Mm-hmm. But in a time where I was seeking greater spiritual power, I felt impressed that I needed to start paying my tithing again. This was about two years after that. And I felt impressed to pay my tithing again, but I thought the fact that I was still in debt was going to be an issue. So I decided I was going to conduct a little experiment upon reading the words of Heber J. Grant, upon reading the words of the prophets, Mm -hmm. and upon reading the story for the first time of the widow of Zarephath, and now again, the widow's might, because the Lord really does seem to be testing people in their extremes. And this time, having read the story, I felt like, the Lord really wanted to eliminate whatever excuses I had because at the end of the day, I could still pay all my expenses and my tithing if I really wanted to. So I decided to put that to the test recently. I paid my tithing and I kid you not, just a couple of days later, I received a very random deposit into my account for a little more than twice the amount that I had given. And Mm. that never happened. Stuff like that (laughs) never happens to me, like at all. I never get, I never get, I, I hate to use the word signs, but I hate to get, I, I don't get validation that quickly in a quantitative form. Like when I fast, I always have peace if I'm not going to get my blessings. Like that to me is very qualitative and that is something I do feel, but it's not something I can show. This is something I can point directly to and say, this is so much more than a coincidence. Like this is, this is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. I obeyed a commandment and the Lord blessed me temporally almost immediately. And I just thought that was really cool. Like my testimony of tithing has definitely been reignited. Thanks in part to this story of the widow's might that even when we feel like we are in extreme circumstances, even when we are destitute, the Lord still expects us to obey this law of tithing. And if we do, he does, he does bless us. So this week, this come follow me lesson has reminded me that, you know, I'm never too destitute to give to the Lord, to render to the Lord his due. The Lord really does come first, and we really do need to put the Lord first. And when we do, the Lord does, the Lord really does bless us. And I just wanted to share that. Yeah, those are a lot of good points. I think there's different ways that people can connect with with the text and see the blessings that God has promised us. And um, part of tithing allows us, it's not that God needs the money, right? Because God can miracle money. It's about giving us the chance to invest in the kingdom in a, in a very particular way that ties us into it. And I just want to say one brief thing about the story of the widow's might in its local and historical context. So what we've got here um, is it's very interesting that, the, that Jesus, when he talks about her, doesn't actually praise her or condemn her. Um, he's very factual and descriptive. He, sa- he said, look, she put in everything she had, and she actually put in more than the people who have abundance. That, that was factual. Um, 
we have to look at the zoom out and look at the larger context because if just a few verses before um, in Luke chapter 20 and in uh, Mark chapter 12, Jesus condemns the religious leaders for, quote, devouring um, the houses of widows. That is, that they would prey upon uh, the most marginalized in our society, and the, and the Torah is very clear about the protection of widows. You've got to protect widows economically and physically in your society because, the, the, because they no longer have a husband there. So, uh, But anyway, so he condemns the religious leaders for devouring the houses of widows, and then he points out this widow who is very poor. And I think that contrast is to say, look, there's something wrong, not so much with her, because obviously she has been conditioned by her surroundings to do this particular obligation. That's, she doesn't, shouldn't be blamed for that. But we should say, why, is, why does she only have two mites? That's the question we need to ask. Why haven't the people been taking care of her? Mm. That's what we really want to ask. And, I part of, and then the next context, he talks about the destruction of the temple and the prophes, uh, prophesying the destruction of the temple, which is what she was donating to. So basically, he, this widow's might piece is framed by a condemnation of the devouring of widows and then a prediction of the destruction of the thing that she donated towards, mm. which in a way frames this with some degree of, oh, we need to take a step back and look at this. And we cannot use this to manipulate people who are poor into whatever we want to do, because that's exactly what he condemned. We need to take a step back and say, well, I'm not saying, well, don't pay your tithing, right? Right. I'm saying we need to step back and say, why can't this person afford to pay the tithing? And how can we help as a community, as a society? That is, mm. uh, we'll get to this later, Jesus will condemn us very significantly for how we treat the poor and marginalized. And real quick, just want to point out that, um, you know, something that doesn't get said a lot within the within the walls of the church, we, we hear all these stories in General Conference in particular where people have come to the point where they either have to pay tithing or eat. You know what I'm saying? And they always decide to pay tithing and then they're blessed temporally or something like that. And I think what we often forget is that in the event that you don't get to eat when you pay your tithing, you still have resources. Like you have the bishop's storehouse. Like yeah. if you pay your tithing, and if it comes down between paying your tithing and eating, you can pay your tithing and the bishop's storehouse can still help you out. And we don't often make that known. Like we really can help people make their needs if we, or sorry, meet their needs mm -hmm. if we expect them to pay their tithing because paying your tithing is a sacrifice and that sacrifice mm -hmm. ought to be honored in some way. And what I was thinking of just now was the Bishop's storehouse exists for that very right. purpose. Yeah. We really do need to take care of one another. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I, I love this. I forgot exactly. I think his name was, um, uh, Camara, Elder Camara, maybe, uh, he was a South American, Latin American Catholic priest, I think. And he, and he, he said very famously, when I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask, why are they poor? They call me a communist. <laughs> and so, so I think Jesus is stretching us to, to ask both of those questions, right? We need to take care of the poor and then take a step back and say, well, why 
are we framing this such that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? And, mm. and nations will be judged by how they, they treat their poor collectively. Mm. So, Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, are we ready to go on to Matthew 25? I have some things about Yeah, that. let's talk about Matthew 25. Okay, so there's... I'll try to go through these pretty quickly. There are three really good... Um, really good stories here. One is the... Um, the the parable of the ten virgins, uh, five of whom are foolish and five are wise. Then we've got the parable of the talents, and then we've got the sheep and the goats judgment. And in a way, they all kind of teach some similar things about preparedness on the one hand uh, and complacency on the other. So <clears throat> in the in the case of the, uh, the ten virgins, you've basically got these bridesmaids who have small handheld oil lamps that are made out of clay and five of them are wise enough to have to bring extra oil along and then when the bridegroom comes it's too late and uh or is delayed longer than they thought and the and the one the foolish bridesmaids say well share your oil with us and the wise ones say no we we don't you need to go and buy some of your own which I want to step back a little bit and talk about about um, sort of self reliance mm-hmm. quote the uh, the wise ones right the wise bridesmaids were essentially self reliant economically mm. they were women and they were unmarried uh, well how do we know where they're unmarried well they were virgins, the virgins right? yeah. yeah so they didn't have a husband so what it says is, look, there's a place for women to have economic stability on their own terms. Like, wow, a feminist point right here. Um, and so, yes, there's there's room for them to have economic stability on their own terms, resourcefulness, wisdom, self-reliance. And uh, and then we have to look at the foolish ones. And I think the point of the the point of the fact that the wise ones didn't share is not because they were mean, but because the oil represents something that can't actually be, be shared. Yeah. It is your internal conversion, which cannot be transferred. I can't get I can give people money, right? I can give people oil. I cannot give people the passion that I have inside me mm-hmm. for the gospel and for the Savior. And a thorough um yeah, I, th- that's not transferable the, the same way. That you have to get on your own. And that's the point of the parable. So don't use this as like, oh, we got to be mean to poor people because they weren't prepared. This is a particular preparedness for the Messiah is something that cannot be transferred. And the complacency of the people who didn't really care and focused on the external. Oh, see, that's the other thing I wanted to say is the oil lamps that they both had were the same. Mm -hmm. It was what was on the inside that was different. And there's a lot of people on the church that on the outside, they've checked all the boxes, they've done the ordinances, they've gone to church, they've, they've done the manuals. They're doing everything on the outside, and they're not taking care of what's on the inside. And that I can't give them on the, on the judgment day. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. And this is a warning to all of that type of complacency, people who are looking at this as just a very narrow checklist, focusing on the externals and not focusing on internal transformation Mm. so um and part of this internal transformation ends up being like how do you take care of marginalized people which we'll get to so then the next one is the parable of the talents and i love the parable of the talents because there's a lot of people like um 
like the 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 three servants. So you've got three servants. Uh, a master goes on a trip. The master gives five talents to one servant, two talents to another, and one talent to a third, according to their ability. So the master knows that the not to trust one of them too much. <laughs> the one with five invests and gets back five more talents. Mm-hmm. The one with two does the same and gets back another two. But the one with one buries it in the ground, uh, which is a common way in the ancient world of, of there's no banks, there's no FDIC insured anything. So that's really the only way of, uh, of taking care of treasure was burying it mm-hmm. and uh, keeping it safe. And I think the logic behind this wicked and lazy servant was, look, this is precious. I'm going to keep it exactly the same as the master gave it to me. I'm not going to, I'm going to keep it safe, keep it completely unchanged, and not do any type, anything that would be risky. And I think the, where I'm going with this has to do with how we view the deposit of truth in our church. Because... The positive the mas- truth. Yes. Basically, God has revealed to us truths. A lot of people make this like talents, like, oh, your talents, like the other word, of, you know, the other use yeah, of the word yeah. talents, which actually comes from a very narrow reading of this parable. Okay. Um, uh, metaphorically. But talents were just use, uh, a measure of weight and money. So the master delegates his authority to the servants and then leaves. And I think... That's very similar to what has happened in this church. In the uh, in the very early 19th century, we got many, many revelations w- one after another. And then le- and then God leaves in a sense and sees, sees what we're going to do with the knowledge we have. Um, because God wants us to develop our God-like attributes, our, our um, things like initiative and responsibility and curiosity and actually... Uh, industry right all these things that mormons are known for that they do with everything else except gospel truth um so god doesn't spoon feed us everything but leaves room for growth and development and i think that there's a lot of people in the church who oppose change and they're like that third servant like "Ooh, god gave me this pretty shiny talent i'm going to keep it exactly the same and that the church can never change and i'm like what are you thinking that's not the point the point of these truth that God has been God has given us is that we don't always have to wait for divine intervention we can take what we've been given and work it to build more truths and make those truths multiply I think that is true for women people of color and LGBTs in the church there's a lot more truth out there um, that God is waiting and eagerly wanting as a parent saying I want my kids to figure this out Mm. um and what makes it makes this parable so applicable to the church today is that the third servant thought he was doing the right thing. He'd be like, right. I know that I'm going to keep this safe and, and not take any risks. And, uh, and I think maybe this is the reason why a number of people, a number of white people in the church were unwilling to work for more light and knowledge before 1978. It's like, mm. no, we, we've got it. We're all set. I'm right. like, no. We're supposed to take our truths and make more truths. I just want to read. It's quite lengthy, but I want to read this quote from uh, Elder uh, B.H. Roberts. Mm. Uh, and this is from the July 1906 Improvement Era. 1906 Improvement Era? Yes. Okay. Here's what he says about Mormon Mormonism. He's, he says it 
quote, calls for thoughtful disciples who will not be content with merely repeating some of its truths, but will develop its truths and enlarge it by that development. Not half, not one hundredth part, not a thousandth part of that which Joseph Smith revealed to the church has yet been unfolded, either to the church or to the world. The work of the expounder has scarcely begun. The prophet planted by teaching the germ truths of the great dispensation of the fullness of times. The watering and the weeding is going on, and God is giving the increase, and will give it more abundantly in the future, as more intelligent discipleship shall obtain. The disciples of Mormonism, well, B.H. Roberts is still using Mormonism, so, <laughs> so we have to... This like, is 1906. Yeah. Yes. Grow, this disciples of Mormonism growing discontented with the necessarily primitive methods which have hitherto prevailed in sustaining the doctrine will yet take profounder and broader views of the great doctrines committed to the church and, departing from mere repetition, will cast them in new formulas cooperating in the works of the Spirit until they help to give the truths received a more forceful expression and carry it beyond the earlier and cruder stages of its development. So basically he's saying kind of what I was saying. That is, we haven't even started the restoration in a sense. Like we've got some seeds that Joseph planted, but we haven't watered and weeded, which tells us we need to do some encouragement, and we also need to do some pruning. Mm -hmm. So yes, eternal truth is pure, but our current understanding of doctrine is not the same as uh, you know absolute eternal truth. We're we're in a state of, of learning here, hmm. and I think there's more. I love his word unfolded. Um, not a thousandth part of that which Joseph Smith revealed to the church has yet been unfolded. That's the word I'm going to start using when we talk about the proclamation on the family, because there's some disciples in the church who want to just do mere repetition, right? This is the wicked servant who says, I'm going to keep it the same. But Elder Roberts uses the word unfolded. So I'm not attacking the proclamation on the family. I've never attacked the proclamation. What I'm saying is we need to unfold it. Okay. We need to unfold it and work it out in as much detail for queer and trans people as we have worked it out for straight people. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly been straight people doing the processing and leading on this, mm -hmm. which is why it's... I don't think that in the eternal truth there's any difference. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. It's a matter of who has asked the questions and what questions have they asked and what authority did, did the uh, people have at the time. And when we look at it this way, there's truths to be unfolded. Truths like, it is not good for man to be alone. Hello? Why wouldn't that be just as true for queer people? <laughs> and truths like, all are alike unto God. Why wouldn't that be just as true for people of color, which is literally in the context of that quote from Second uh, Nephi 26. Mm -hmm. um, same with male and female in that same context. Why wouldn't all be alike unto God? And so that kernel of truth we need to develop. And it's not just something that we have to wait for God to reveal. This is something that we have to do. Remember, the whole point of the parable is that the master leaves. Right. And, and, and doesn't babysit them. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in the church assume that God is babysitting us, and that we're waiting through on revelation, him. right? Right, and that we're kind of and waiting that, on that, him. Yeah, to... I mean, like we've got to we've got to be prepared for further light and truth on this. And I love the fact that um, 
well, not only prepared, we need to be willing to work for that right, further exactly, light and truth. Exactly. We need to be willing to that, be the ones to find it almost. And it I, sounds like what you're saying. And I love the statement in Matthew 25 that Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, which is very, very similar to language that we hear in the temple. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That is what Christ says to those who aren't complacent with what they've received, but to those who take what they've received while the master has gone and worked at it for more truth. Mm. I mean, that's what we've got to be as Mormons. I think this is kind of like the, the wise and the foolish uh, virgins all over again Mm -hmm. some are willing to be to anticipate something bigger something Mm -hmm. bigger than themselves others are content with just the exterior now let's go on to the sheep and the goats judgment um and uh oh i just wanted to say one other thing about women and and economic let's talk about this this concept of breadwinner that has has become very popular in lds culture like the man should be the breadwinner i'm like did you get that from Jesus? <laughs> Where did Jesus ever be the breadwinner? Can you, I'm going to challenge people this. Can you think of any time that Jesus in his adult ministry earned money and used it to support other people? Big pause. I have nothing, Derek. I have nothing. <laughs> there, there isn't any. You know, Jesus was poor. He didn't, he didn't have a lot of money. He depended on other people. When he needed to feed people, he miracled the food. Mm-hmm. When he needed to pay taxes with Peter, he miracled the coin out of the fish's mouth. When, when people challenged him whether to, to pay the tax, he says, show me the Daenerys, because he didn't have one on him. He was poor. Mm-hmm. He did not have any income of his own. He did not earn money. As he, now, he was a, uh, a craftsman earlier, right, according to Mark. Uh, a tech town, a, a, a carpenter, but but in his adult life, in his ministry, he was actually dependent on women. If you look at Luke chapter eight, verses one through three, it says um, basically he's going throughout the villages, um, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So he's on his ministry. He's busy with ministry, and it says here, and the twelve were with him, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, listen, listen, which ministered unto him of their substance. So basically, Jesus, oh, first of all, I want to say that the 12 are, are coordinated with the women. Mm-hmm. It says the 12 were with him, and these women were with him. So they're coordinated. Um, through that conjunction and Kai in Greek. The, the thing here is that they ministered, they served. That's uh, from the, the same Greek word from which we get the word deacon. They, they served him out of their possessions. They were the breadwinners. Mm. They were the ones who supported Jesus. Like when, whenever, whenever we, when we say, when we talk about being Christ now I'm not putting pressure on women to earn money what I'm saying is if if in a household the the spouses they get to decide what's the best situation for them right if if the man needs to earn all the money if the if they need to split it if the wife 
we need to, we need to have room for stay-at-home dads. We need mm-hmm. to have room for working. Well, we need to have room for everyone to figure out using their discernment and their wisdom and the Spirit's revelation for their lives not to fit into a cookie-cutter model that isn't even biblical. Mm. And it isn't even Christ-like that says the man needs to be the provider <laughs> because that's that's not what Jesus did. Mm. And it's the same thing Well, what in same-gender households. If you have two men, who's going to be the provider? If you have two women, who's going to be the provider? You know, we have to think broader than that. So... So sorry for, for going on this detour, but it's important <laughs> I enjoyed to it. say. Thank you. It's important to say, but back to the sheep and goats judgment. I don't want to take up too much time because we should know this pretty well, mm-hmm. but it is so beautiful. Um, Jesus says that in the end, uh, we will be divided like sheep from the goats. And God will say to those, uh, this is what he will say. It says uh, in Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40, then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So beautiful because... The way they're judged is based on how they treated their neighbor, which is ultimately how they treat Christ, right? Yeah. And he didn't judge, he didn't divide the sheep from the goats based on church membership or based on how many ordinances you've got checked off or did you follow this manual and focus on this external, like the empty clay uh, uh, lamp. But, But he's focusing on, were you transformed? Because all the ordinances in the world won't be of any effect if you are not a transformed per- person. I think that's the point of the ordinances. I'm not trying to say don't do them. I'm saying the point of them is to point to something larger themselves. All of these ordinances are about learning in some way, transforming your identity, incorporating something larger than yourself into your soul. And I think that's the point of the ordinances. And and the, here's the reality is, you know, in some cases, the ordinances can all be done within a few hours, mm-hmm. like when we do them for the dead. We can do all the ordinances that anyone ever needs in just a few hours. But the type of discipleship and transformation that you need to inherit a celestial responsibility can only be done over a lifetime of work and cooperation with the Spirit and industry. And, I mean, that's where we should focus is on your individual discipleship how are you transformed? How are you treating others? How mm. are you treating Christ? How are you loving others? All of the, these manuals and checklists is not what, what it, this is about. Not at all. Yeah. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about uh, last week about the first and second great commandments. About right. how, you know, love, love God with all your heart, mind, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. We can't really say that we love God if we don't love our fellow man is what I thought of as you were speaking. Because that seems to be what matters most to the Lord when it comes to being changed, when it comes to ministering to others. It's all about, it's all, like I've said this before, but the Christianity is very interdependent. It really does require Mm -hmm. all of us working together in order for us to work out our own salvation, which is, you know, both. Right. It's beautiful. It's almost ironic. And it's very 
poetic. And we can't really be saved if we leave people behind because there's part of us that gets left behind. Absolutely. Right? Which is why I'm, why I'm so curious why people aren't more curious. I'm curious why other people aren't more curious about these truths. You know, there's people who say, well, we don't, we don't need, there's a, I, you hear this a lot. You used to hear in the seventies and eighties, well, we know about gays, you know, it's this disgusting criminal depravity and wickedness and mm -hmm. mental illness. They don't really say that anymore. They just say, we don't know. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what will happen to gays in the next life. They used to say, well, you're going to be straight. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of them maybe still say that, but now you've got this new fangled, Thing that's coalescing around well we just don't know what will happen to gay people well have you tried asking us <laughs> like we know who we are mm -hmm. but this goes back to like everything i said about the the foolish virgins or the wicked and lazy servant or the goats who didn't care about other people who didn't care about developing new truths and weren't prepared for what's coming they're like we don't know i mean like the reason that you can be content in your ignorance is because it doesn't affect you, mm, right? That's a word. Like if you, if if your life and your salvation depended on you knowing this, you would you would you would get some revelation real fast. Yeah, and best believe they're yeah. gonna find out how. Right. I mean, you already said it. How intertwined into their salvation that this is? Yeah, I have a theory. I have a theory that if somehow we got we accidentally got this revelation, or or we thought we got a revelation from God that said. You know, no more straight marriage. Uh, everyone has to divorce. You, no straight marriage is bad, and you gotta, you gotta, no more children. You can't have children. You're like that would get fixed mm -hmm. with within 24 hours, with probably within two hours. People <laughs> would realize, you know, we gotta, we gotta send this back and get some fresh revelation on this. If, if. If straight people in the church were in the position that gay people were in now, it would be changed immediately. Mm. It would be changed immediately. That's what privilege is, right? Mm -hmm. It's The situation is no different um, other than you have a precedent of discrimination against my people, and you don't have that uh, same thing. You have a, a precedent of privilege for straight people. But other than that, it's exactly the same as if, if the Lord said, "No more straight marriage, no more straight marriage." People would we, people would say, "We got to double check that." Mm. People would say, "We've got to fix this." People would say, "We've got to understand this." People would say, "We need more not light knowledge. This can't mm -hmm. be right." And people just don't have that same attitude. Well, some people, our allies, do right. This can't be right. Right. Uh, about the the mistreatment of, uh, and discrimination against LGBTQ people. But by and large, but and yeah, in leadership. there's a lot of people who are complacent and say, well, yeah. we just don't know. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Love is, <laughs> love is actually inseparable from knowledge. Interesting. Actually, you can't, you can't love people. So a lot of people in the LDS church think of love as this, this affection or attitude like, oh, I, I, I have this warm, fuzzy feeling about someone. Mm -hmm. But that's, you can't, that's not love mm -hmm. unless it is connected with knowledge about what's best for that person and knowledge about that person on their own terms. It's kind of like saying, like if you're allergic to peanuts and I, I love you and I make you a peanut butter sandwich and that's not love because mm -hmm. what it is is I didn't know that this would hurt you. Right. And if I don't take 
the time to figure out what actually hurts you and I give it to you no matter what's in my heart of like, oh, I feel I'm like, I like peanut butter, so I'm giving it to you. I love you. Like, no. You it's cannot, not the thought that you counts. You cannot separate love from accurate knowledge and insight about the people that you're loving. And I think mm-hmm. so much of what's going on in the church today is people have the feeling, right? I, I don't think there's a lot of people that actively hate gays, right? Mm-hmm. It's they have this warm feeling, but it's disconnected from knowledge. Yeah. It's disconnected from knowledge of what heals us and what hurts us. And that messes up everything. It's this benevolent sense of straight supremacy of mm-hmm. like, oh, whatever. And and I don't want pity either. I don't want I don't want pity no, or compassion. This isn't about pity. It's about yeah. nourishing and nurturing the LGBTQ people and listening to us and and making sure that we have a place from which we can speak and we can be our th- authentic selves. I should probably stop talking now because I could talk about that for hours. <laughs> but but yeah, that's all I had to say about Matthew 25. All right. Cool, man. Thanks for sharing. Some great stuff in there. So many bars. I, I really appreciated that. I love that, man. All right. I got nothing else for uh, the Come Follow Me. And uh, we should probably be wrapping up soon. So let's go okay. ahead and move straight on to the prayer roll. Yeah. Prayer roll. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I still got nothing. But um, okay, well then. I think all I want to say, though, is with regard to uh, last week's episode, um, we talked a lot about McKenna Denson mm-hmm. and a lot about, yeah. um, you know, the implications of the recent revelations. We did not spend, because it wasn't the news, it wasn't the latest news, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about, about the assault itself of McKenna Denson. And even though we kind of put a mm-hmm. button on that conversation by talking about the effect on, the effect on survivors Right. and other victims and stuff like that. It wasn't the focus of our conversation. And I just wanted to take an opportunity to reiterate something that you already said at the end of that conversation, which is that because of who McKenna Denson is or because of what she's done or whatever, this doesn't in any way, shape, or form take away from legitimate victims, legitimate assaults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even I, with regard to McKenna Denson, I'm still going to err on the side of you know, believing her in terms of having experienced the assault at the hands of Joseph Bishop, both for the reason that right. she actually, um, that Joseph Bishop actually confessed to engaging in illicit activity with other women, and also the fact that um, that kind of trauma mm-hmm. can lead to what McKenna Denson is experiencing now. Right. So, yeah. I just wanted to put that out there and to properly because I didn't explicitly acknowledge in the last episode. I just want to explicitly acknowledge that now because it is important to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that two things can be true. That McKenna Denson can be a pathological liar who needs a lot of help and she can also be a victim of assault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. And thanks, thanks for naming that. And I think, uh, that I'll I'll let that slide into what I'm going to say about this uh, representative Mike Hill in in Florida. He's in the Florida Florida legislature, and there was this incident of about a week ago, where he was at something and somehow LGBT rights came up, and then one questioner said, I have the exact words here. It says, some person said, in First Corinthians it says a man who has an affair with another man shall be put to death, and then Representative Hill says, uh, he said says that in the Old Testament too. The questioner then said, 
can you introduce legislation? And Hill laughed and, and responded, yeah, I wonder how that would go over. Now, we've got a whole bunch of things wrong with this, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the first thing wrong is this biblical ignorance here. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, the two of them agreed that uh, to something that First Corinthians doesn't even say, mm-hmm. does not say that um, gay people should be put to death. Um, it says that nowhere in, in, in the letters of Paul. Um, now, what it does say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is that a man who had an incestuous relationship with his presumably stepmom, his father's wife, mm-hmm. um, probably not his mother because Paul would have said mother yeah. uh, to, to bring out the shock factor. But uh, he said that this man shouldn't, well, he shouldn't be killed, but he should be expelled from the community and brought to repentance. Okay, that's, that's all. There's nothing about... Um, about killing people for this. Now there's, so there's that, this biblical ignorance. Um, Now, Leviticus chapter 20 does state that uh, a man who lies with a man has committed an abomination and and that they should be put to death. However, it says that about adultery too. And I'm like, where are all the Republicans? (laughs) If if they're truly just saying we're we're going by the Bible, Mm -hmm. they would have to say the same thing about adultery. And, and, and we've got our adulterer-in-chief uh, who, would, who would be subject to the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So there's this double standard of even joking about using the Bible to kill gay people, mm-hmm. but not using the Bible to, to not, not just not kill adulterers, but not even to re- reprove adulterers and, and call them to repentance, which yeah. we totally should do. Yeah. And I think... Uh, and there's been adultery on both sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. right? So we can't just make it about one party. But I think there's a hypocrisy in the Bible-believing uh, people who claim to believe the Bible and just implement it only uh, in this really double-standard way. And and then a- another layer of problem with this is this is just now um, three years after the Pulse shooting in Florida where mm-hmm. people literally killed uh, gay people, uh, particularly a large number of queer people of color. Mm-hmm. And here you are in Florida where you should be the first people to protect your people from death. And now you are joking with a constituent about uh, introducing legislation to kill, kill gay people. This is like the, the recipe of do not do this, right? right? Like any decent person who claims the name of Christ, which Representative Mike Hill does. I looked at his Twitter. His Twitter says that he's pro-life, pro-gun, and pro-Jesus. And mm-hmm. I don't know how you can be all three of those <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> right? Um, especially the pro-gun part combined with the pro-life and the pro-Jesus, which Jesus never had a gun. <laughs> and he said, put your sword back in its place. Um uh, but anyway, so that's so we need to not only pray for uh, Representative Mike Hill, but also the constituents that elected him, and uh, we need to also pray for the people who would be harmed and hurt when they hear this. Yeah, yeah. Your thoughts on that? Gosh, man. Just when when you, when I first saw that link, I couldn't. I, I legitimately couldn't believe that we were joking about this like i didn't know much about this representative because you know when yeah, I, I never heard him when i saw before. that he left i was like i'm glad he left that out of the room but i also know like after reading the article and seeing what he stands for i'm just like oh 
this is what we're dealing with. We're just going to go ahead and joke about killing gay people using the Bible as a weapon. And you already talked about this. We enforce so many standards or impose so many standards on other people as Christians that we don't impose on ourselves because we're not, quote unquote, tempted to commit such sins. And we're also very selective about which crimes we want to punish or which sins we want to judge people for. And that is, you know, this goes back to what we talked about last week. It's honestly what I feel is the biggest thing that Jesus Christ takes Mm -hmm. issue with is when we use his word to as a weapon against people to deny them God's love or, you know, sometimes worse than that, when we omit the parts of God's word that make us uncomfortable or are inconvenient for us. So the fact, I'm not surprised that something like this happened. It just made me profoundly sad that this is still where we are as a people right. and that I am not entirely sure how we go about it. that people think that's okay. Yeah, that people think that now, it's I can get, okay. I, can, I could almost get behind someone who's saying like, I don't, I don't, I think that gay sex is morally wrong. But on the other hand, this is not an appropriate thing to joke about. It's not. This is not an appropriate not. thing to ask. If he would have said that, he would have gotten some degree of respect, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I think that decent people should at least be on board with the idea that my people should live. Right? Yeah. That, that is like a basic thing <laughs> that without baseline. which that is, we can't even come to the table to talk about anything. Like basic respect for humanity. That should right. be the baseline. And it wasn't even that here so yeah so so um and he's not is he's had people have asked him to apologize or resign and he refuses to apologize which is which is even worse Mm -hmm. because there's the layer of well now most people wouldn't accidentally slip up and do something like that but some people would but i realize okay some you always make mistakes you know if you're speaking off the cuff you'll say something it doesn't quite come out right you can come back later and and explain and, and apologize and yeah. say, well, now I know more than I did. But he's refused. He's yeah. he's stubbornly clinging to this. Um, and uh, I think that's that's a pretty much an, a good example of someone who's doing the goat part, who's doing the foolish virgin part, and who's doing the lazy servant part of saying, look, I'm all set. That's literally what they all said. I've got mine. I don't care about other people. And speaking of caring about other people and being not being all sad in Revelation, tell me if you want to anything more about 1978 and and your thoughts on that and how we 41 years later because uh, uh, we shouldn't think like of it as done, right? Not as it's not got more done. Get more work time to do. Tell me about not confidence or anywhere else in church. You know, part of to make sure that we have platforms, to make sure that we have voices, to make sure that people outside of the church and inside of the church know that voices like ours exist and more importantly that they matter because it is when our voices are heard that significant changes can take place Mm -hmm. within the church Mm -hmm. and the whole celebration behind 1978 was a step in that direction a step towards letting black people hold leadership a step towards letting black people have full fellowship a step towards letting us be able to have the same effect that everybody else in the church has had now we're still a long ways off of that we just barely had our first african-american general authority get put into the 70 like i don't want to knock that because it is a step but Mm -hmm. we're talking this is 40 years Mm -hmm. down the line you know there's still a lot more work to be done because 
as evidenced by what we just talked about, we still need more queer voices to be reaching the upper echelons of the church. We mm -hmm. still need more black voices reaching the upper echelons of the church because it is still hard being a black member. It's still hard being a queer member. It's still hard being on the margins and being a member of this church because we don't really have voice. Ninth, the reason we celebrate the 1978 revelation is because we are making a step in that direction, but a big reason mm -hmm. of why I wanted us to have this avenue is to help speed that up a little bit. That is, I, I really do have a lot more thoughts about this, but just for the sake of time, um, you know, we have the rest yeah. of June and we're going to get to celebrate yep. the revelation actually exactly a week from today. So awesome. Before that, before we get to that, I'll probably just taper that discussion for now. We'll put a button on that for now and we'll save that for next week. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. I always love doing these <laughs> conversations with you. Likewise, Derek. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Bye.